Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 270 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. So pleased that you are here with me today on a mini episode where I have collected some questions. I've collected all the questions that uh, people have sent me. Um, This is the level on my Patreon where you get to ask me whatever the heck you want. And I'm telling you for $5 a month um, using me as your mini coach, I would love it if you came over to patreon.com slash Rachel and uh, looked at that because there's some really good questions here and I want to answer your questions too. So let us, well, you know what? Is there any update around here? Uh, Update is that I freaking love Wellington. I love my house. Uh, I love unpacking boxes. I have developed a dab hand at uh, going out and foraging, aka stealing uh, wildflowers off of the hillsides. I keep expecting someone to yell at me for it. But there are so many wildflowers on all of the hills. And I come home with my little fist stuffed full of flowers and I shove them into vases and milk bottles. And there are just flowers all over the house. And I know that it is because it is spring in Wellington and eventually we will be someday in winter in Wellington and there will be fewer flowers. But I have just realized how much flowers bring to my life. And I may turn into one of those people who buys a bouquet or two every week when the flowers stop blooming all over the hills of Wellington. Uh, but writing is going well. Uh, about to wrap up. Oh, this is what I needed to tell you. I'm about to wrap up 90 Days to Done and 90 Day Revision. Uh, this particular session has been wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I would like to tell all of you that uh, I am not teaching 90 Days to Done in January. I think I have um, completely decided that I'm going to take a break from that uh, just to get a little bit more writing done in uh, the first three months of the year. But if you are interested in taking 90 Day Revision, uh, your job is to go to um, rachelheron.com slash revision. And there is a form there that you can sign up on and you will be alerted second the first people who get notified of that class opening are the people currently in 90 days to done. They get first dibs at those slots. Um, but then I will alert people on that list. And the class usually sells out within less than a day. It sells out within hours. So if you're interested in that, do um, sign up on that pre-alert notice because I probably won't bring it up here on the podcast again. And I probably will not email my list um, because it goes so dang fast. And I'm so grateful for that. Um Uh, So there, that is the only business thing that I can think of. Let us jump into the mini podcast questions. Okay. So this one comes from Portia. Portia, thank you for waiting. Yours was the first one to come in in this series. So you've been waiting for this answer. And I think it's a great question. Uh, Questions. Okay. So Portia says, I'm working on a novel with a non-traditional form. Think Cloud Atlas or A Visit from the Goon Squad. Nested stories that span from ancient Mesopotamia into a far future post-Earth community. As I work on the various pieces, I find myself grappling with a few things. Number one, the possibilities are infinite. I know I find the right possibilities by trying, but sometimes the infinity of options, settings, time periods, characters feels paralyzing. How can I help make myself smarter choices about which stories to pursue and which won't be a good fit? All right. So I think I'm going to go through these one by one. Uh, Number one, 
Yes, you are number one. So ambitious, my goodness. Um, thank you for sharing this with us. I respect and worship that ambition in you. And yes, you are feeling overwhelmed because your possibilities are literally infinite. When our possibilities are infinite in that way, and really they are in almost every writing pro project, however, yours looks even more infinite because you're dealing with basically all of the time, um, our job is to limit it uh, arbitrarily. We set arbitrary limitations around what we are writing. We must do that. So um, something, it, it, you can turn it into any kind of game that you want. You can uh, put into a hat slips of paper on which you've written or asked friends to write, uh, random words, uh, random actions, random cities, random time periods. And then you draw four, put them together, and that's your next story. The benefit of doing something like this um, is it's kind of like that old trick of flipping the coin when you can't decide. Um, if you can't decide something and you pick heads or tails, when it lands heads, but you actually wanted tails, you just weren't willing to admit that to yourself, you can feel that in your gut and then you can go towards tails. Um, in this way, if you pull cards that are absolutely wrong, it'll give you a better idea of what is actually right. Um, but don't let yourself overthink that. Assign yourself to write a story that has some of those words in it. Uh, I have a good friend, Jason, who has this new system that he's using where he has a, you know, a, a, an essential hat full of words. He sets a timer for five minutes and every five minutes the timer goes off and he grabs a new word and he's got, a, he's got to use that word in the next few sentences. That is forcing him to continue writing. These are arbitrary tricks and tools that we use to make ourselves move forward because there is no right answer uh, to any of those questions you are asking yourself. Um, so that is what I would do. I would put some kind of boxing around it to help you pick and then write uh, and then make them fit. Uh, your question is um, which stories to pursue and which won't be a good fit. They will all be a good fit. It's uh, that that quote that I always mention, and I can't remember the person who said it, but ba basically don't make the right decision, make the decision right. Make the story that you write fit into this collection. Uh, number two, how do I know that the pieces are creating a resonance for the reader the way that they are for me? I think that imagining about this, uh, I think that imagining about this in some ways akin to putting together an essay or short story collection. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on creating a whole from disparate parts. For this, this one requires a trust. Um, and the and it's really a choice to trust that if these pieces resonate for you, they will be resonating also for your ideal reader, who is somebody just as smart or smarter than you are. Uh, and that, and I can be confident in saying, if you love how these things work against each other, other people will too. Not everybody, because not everybody will love our books. That's just, that's it. We cannot please everyone, but we can please the writer's that we want to please. And for me personally, I always want to please the writer who is the reader who is like me, who goes to the bookshop looking for the books that I want to read. Um, that said, there is a danger sometimes in just in the fact that these stories and characters and plot events live in our heads. So we have spent a lot of time in them and around them. 
And sometimes the resonance that we feel is more heightened because we spent all that time in it. Whereas somebody who's just skimming and reading quickly needs a little bit more to create that resonance, to make sure it's there. And you will not be able to tell that. That's the job of your editor. When you are working with your editor, they will tell you, I'm not sure why these two, why did you put these together? And you'll say, obviously it's because of the orange tree and the way that her grandfather said the word red and the editor will go, oh, okay. Now that you pointed out, I see it, but it's not clear enough. And then in your revision, while you're working with that, that editor, you will bring out that resonance. Um, I love that you're thinking about it, but it is not something that will be easy for you to see if you are not doing enough of it. Uh, your editor will also tell you if you're doing too much of it, that's, um, that's generally less of a danger. Uh, that can also happen. So rely on the editor for that. Uh, number three, the thing holding the stories together, at least in my mind, is that they're all exploring loneliness but I don't want that theme to be either didactic or non-existent. Any advice on how to hold that loosely? I know this will probably also be a more important question when I'm revising rather than first drafting. Uh, thanks for your amazing podcast and sharing your reflections on writing and life. You are so welcome. Uh, so great question. The theme is loneliness. I think, Portia, the fact that you know this is your theme and that you've thought about it uh, as you're writing it's going to come up naturally. Basically what I do is I hold a theme loosely in my mind when I'm writing a first draft. And then exactly as you say, when I'm in revision, I always put my theme on a post-it and your theme can be um, as short as the one word loneliness. And on that post-it, every time you're in a story, you ask yourself, is there a reflection of loneliness in this particular story? Is there a refraction of the light that loneliness casts in this story? Um, if there isn't, then you adjust it. So there is, you probably will not have that problem because it is already in the forefront of your mind as you're writing the first drafts. Um, and then you can ask yourself the corollary question, which is, is this too, am I hitting the reader over the head with the loneliness stick? Uh, and you're probably not, unless you're including sentences like, um, Madeline couldn't stop thinking about how lonely she was on this lonely Tuesday on which everyone around her looked lonely and felt lonely. You're probably not in too much danger of that. The, the, the way you're asking these questions makes me know that you're already very firmly grasping what your job is as a writer. Um, your job is to get out of the way, stop judging what you're writing in this first draft and let some crap flow that then you will fix later. Um, but you have got this. These are amazing questions. Uh, thank you for them. And please keep me posted with how you're doing and lay some more questions on me. Okay. So this one comes from Michelle M. Hello, Michelle. Uh, she says, have you ever had a time or spoken to an author when they have regretted not researching something first before just writing the first draft? I'm just wondering if by inserting some technical information in later, there's a scenario where that could be risky. Okay. So the answer is yes and no. Uh, the answer is absolutely not. Uh, most revision, oh, sorry. Most, um, research can be done later. The vast majority of research can be done later. You make something up in a first draft. You hope that you maybe have some kind of grasp on what you're talking about. And then later you spend as little time as possible researching what it is. And you put in those fancy words when you're in revision. Um, and there's always one science fiction, science fan fantasy, speculative fiction person who will come back to me and say, Rachel, if I don't get the 
cluster bomb engine thruster device right, then the whole premise of the story is off. And in that case, that may be true. Um, If it is a technical thing that you don't understand that the whole story is pinned upon, yeah, then then you need to do the research. Um, But normally that is not the case. If you're writing a book about a doctor, fake it, use some knowledge that you've gleaned from many years of watching ER and figure that stuff out later. Uh, the problem with research is it is just a way to get us onto Google um, rather than being inside our document. Every time we take a moment away to look something up, we have that distraction residue in our brains that it can take up to 20 minutes to actually get our full capacity back to the page and back to writing. Um, so just don't risk it. Turn off the internet when you're writing, if possible. And, or uh, do what I do is, <laughs> and make yourself a post-it while you're writing. I want, really wanted to Google the flies that live with worms earlier when I was writing, because I was thinking about compost and I would not let myself do it. So I wrote down worm flies, which is actually pretty gross on this post-it. And I'm going to make sure that that post-it goes away after I do the research. Uh, but yes, try to restrict yourself unless it is unless your story absolutely will not work without the exact right thing for your plot. Okay. Uh, let's see. Penn says, uh, shiny thing syndrome, shiny thing syndrome. How do you deal with it when your brilliant ideas are bursting all around you, but you really need to knuckle down to one thing and get it done? It's so hard. Shiny thing syndrome is hard and real. Uh, the problem with that shiny object syndrome is that it makes the object that we're focused on look really dull and boring. It's the it's the little brown sparrow that's just bobbing around on the grass, plucking those worms out of the grass, um, worms on the brain, while the eastern rosella, which is this little parrot who lives in New Zealand. It's a tiny parrot that looks like it's wearing a leopard skin coat. I am not lying. Google Eastern Rosella to see a picture of this magnificent little bird flies past. Why am I going to be looking at the dun colored robin? I'm not. That The robin is boring. The Eastern Rosella, on the other hand, is gorgeous and I want to chase her to the ends of the earth. So uh, it comes again down to making yourself some rules and giving yourself some rewards for me. Um, I never tell the shiny object that it needs to go away because I figure it's visiting me for a reason. They don't always stay. I sometimes lose it. I often lose interest. Uh, another thing with shiny object, object syndrome is that um, we don't really know how serious they are. So I use them as my rewards. If I work for three 25-minute Pomodoros, then I got to spend half an hour brainstorming what I might want to do on this next book that I'm thinking about or whatever the next project is. Um, I use them as rewards to get the real work done. And then of course, when I'm doing the real work, when I'm um, working with that little brown robin, the brown robin, when my attention is focused on it and when I am thinking about it becomes the most fascinating thing in the world again. And at one time I felt about this brown robin the same way I do about the Eastern Rosella and that love comes back. So kind of it's a win-win. You get to play with your new idea and also you get to fall in love with the old idea over and over again on a daily basis. Uh, So that is how I do it. Um, But I would love if other people have ideas to come over and leave them in the show notes, which nobody ever does. Uh, I barely even know how to look at them. So uh, you could also come to my group Onward Writers and join over there at the Slack it's a Slack group. It's free. You can join. It's always in my show notes on both YouTube and howdyright.net. So you can join that if you would like to talk more about that. 
or anything. Uh, okay. And then the last question is from Kate. Hello, Kate. Uh, she says, I struggle with overwriting. I'm doing middle grade and shooting for 50 to 60,000 words, but at the rate I'm going with my chapter length, I'll be over that for sure. I'm in my first draft. I think I know the answer to this is my winky face, but should I let that worry me at this stage or just keep on overwriting since this is my natural tendency and fix it all in revision? I think that my problem is that I give too much attention to transitions in my writing. Any other tips you've seen for newbies on how to eliminate overwriting? Love this question because I'm right with you. I am an overwriter. I believe that all of us are either an overwriter or an underwriter. I don't know if I've ever met somebody who just writes exactly the right amount of words on the first try. And I think you kind of know by instinct which one you are. If you're doing your writing, you'll be able to feel that. Uh, the best practice for me, and I just did this today, in fact, um, is I stop writing the scene I'm in. As soon as I realize, oh my God, this is not even important. And I have just spent 1500 words describing this non-important thing. I stop writing. I skeleton my way to the idea of what I want this particular scene to say. I will write to myself as a, Rachel, this just has to be about how she's um, proud of herself for making overalls. And I, and I just stop and I move to the next thing that I know needs to be written. Therefore, when I come back in revision, I have less to cut down on because I have stopped my overwriting. Oftentimes, that whole scene that I was overwriting can just go. Um, and my brain sent up the red flag saying, oh, God, no, stop. You're doing too much. And allowing yourself to stop at that point is kind of this gift to yourself. So stop. Write yourself a little note of what you were trying to do, but you're doing too much of and move to the next point in the book that you understand and that you're excited about. Don't move to the point that you're not excited about. Uh, move to the point that you are excited to write that you think has a kind of a good chance of staying um, in the book, although in the first draft, we never know. So we're just writing crap anyway. And allow yourself to stop. Uh, for me, transitions are such a problem that um, many years ago, I allowed myself to ignore transitions entirely and they become a later revision pass for me. So I don't even handle them in my... Um, my, in my second draft and oftentimes in my third draft, I will insert them as a pass to make the transitions work because by then I know what scenes are going to stay. Therefore, I know what transitions to write. Whereas in a first draft, we don't even know what scenes will stay later or what we will need to add or put in. So the transition might end up getting lost anyway. So, um, and I think I know what you mean. So I'm talking about that kind of transition, but if you're talking about actual time transitions um, between moving from the space of doing one thing into another. That's another thing, just a great thing to leave out for an overwriter. Underwriters will put all that in, um, or sometimes they will add that back in later. So I love this question. Allow yourself to stop when you want to stop. Uh, when when that red flag goes up in the air. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Um, it is a joy and a privilege and an honor to speak with you. And I really mean that with all of my heart. If you're not subscribed to my email newsletter, which I don't send out as often as I want to, I want to send it out weekly. And I, I bet I don't even send it out monthly. I'm trying to get better at that. Uh, but if you are not on the writer's list, the specific writer's list, I would love it if you came to join uh, because I ask you to respond to me in those emails. And I love it when you do. And I always answer, even though I'm terrible at a email and it takes me a while, but I always get around to all of them. Eventually that is at rachelheron.com slash write, or you can go to patreon.com slash Rachel and uh, join to be 
one of my um, patrons at the mini coach level, and then you can send in your own questions and I will answer them. All right, you all, I wish you um, happy, happy writing wherever you are. Get a little bit done. Those little bits add up. All right. Thank you, my friends. And we will talk soon. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.